Welcome back to the Mark Claire Show. My guest today is a self-described citizen journalist and seeker of truth who has a very interesting theory he's going to present today about a video that has been circulating online that is so wild that I'm not even going to bother trying to describe it. We're just going to watch it together and then hear his explanation. Uh, his name is Ashton Forbes. Ashton, welcome to my show. Thanks, Mark, for having me. How are you doing today? Very good, Ashton. And uh, before we dive into the video itself, I just want to set this up by um, just learning a little bit more about you. Just tell us whatever you can about your background anyway. And um, I'm curious, not only just how you first took interest in this video and, and became so passionate about talking about uh, the contents of it, uh, but just maybe just tell us why should we listen to you? What, what is your background that, well, you know, what is the reasoning behind why you're so uh, interested in, in being out there yeah. talking about this? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been passionate about it just from looking at the weight of the evidence and realizing the authenticity of the videos that we're going to show here and the scope and scale of what that means for humanity, what it means for the people that were kind of lied to and essentially trying to vindicate everybody along the path, families of the victims, um, the witnesses that were out there, the person that leaked this, and then the world has been lied to. So my background um, isn't even necessarily that important, but I will go into it just because everything here is verifiable. I think that's what makes everything such a strong case is that you don't need to believe anything I'm going to say here. You can look into the evidence yourself and realize that the evidence stacks up. Um, but my background has been in healthcare IT for my whole career. Uh, I'm an analyst, uh, database architect, if you want to think of it like that, is my job title. Um, and I think just to add an aura of credibility to what I say is that um, as a contractor, I have had a government security clearance, which means that my background has been vetted. So you're not going to find any major red flags in my background, um, which should help to at least understand that what I'm going to be talking about here is stuff that I take very seriously. That is not a joke. It's not misinformation or disinformation. My background doesn't have anything to do with uh, UAPs or advanced technology. Um, I have been interested in the UAP phenomenon since 2017, about when those DOD, Navy, TikTok videos, gimbal, et cetera, were declassified. That's when I began to think that, oh, there may be actually something to this. But I had never come across anything where I felt so compelled that I needed to get the information out there to the world like I have with these MH370 videos. All right. Well, then, that being the case, why don't we just get right into it? Uh, we can start wherever you think it makes the most sense. If you want to describe maybe how you first came upon the video and what you first mm -hmm. thought of it, a little bit of your process, but then we can just get right into the video. And, you know, I, I've seen this presentation on a couple of shows, uh, sure. the Confessionals with our friend Tony Merkel, as well as on Higher Side Chats. And I don't I don't want to do the exact same show. I want to try to cover sure. some new ground, but I think there's probably some basics we at least need to cover to, to get everyone up to speed, including, including checking out the video. Yeah, and I think the background is, okay, where did this come from? Where did the videos come right. from? We've proven they come from 2014, which we'll go into in a second. But they reemerged on Reddit in August 8th, 2023, nine years later. And I remember seeing the videos, or at least one of them, the thermal video we're going to show back in 2014, when I was just following, you know, like everybody else, what happened to the plane. And uh, I think thousands of other people saw them as well. So this is important because it corroborates these videos are actually from 2014, which is important because that predates a lot of deep fake and AI functionality that was commercially available, which makes them a lot more difficult to explain and to, uh, from a hoax perspective. It also means that these might be the last opportunity we have for true disclosure from the public and not from having to wait for government to tell us about disclosure, which seems like it's a slow drip process, a slow acclimation process. Meaning that anything coming from this point forward, we know now we have technology that's so good, we have to assume anything could be fake. Really, and I think a lot of people make that argument uh, on a daily basis now for footage that comes out nowadays. So these videos were reemerged on Reddit. People started to post all kinds of, you know, authenticating them, trying to debunk them. And most of the work just went to authenticate them further and further and further. The debunkers essentially started to give up because they were just doing the opposite of what they were trying to do, which was they ended up just proving a lot of the aspects of the footage to be real. The part where I got really interested is when we, the debunkers tried to show that there was a frame rate difference in the mouse compared to the background of the satellite footage, which I'll pull up here in a minute. And once we realized that that was actually indicative of a Citrix session logged in, that this person wasn't using a camera behind them, they weren't even using their camera phone to film this, they were actually using a screen recording of the real Intel Spy satellite database. That's when we realized that, wow, this is actually legitimate footage here that we had no basis to understand could be real. Um, so then I started to write about them on Twitter. Uh, had a few posts just kind of take off and go viral. Started getting a lot of followers. I started with 30 followers like just 10 weeks ago, potentially. And now I think we're up to 22,000 plus. 
Um, and that just goes to show the weight of the evidence. I've never been on TV once before. I've never been on any Netflix documentaries, but I have more followers than all the people in the Netflix documentary combined, as well as all the people in the independent group and investigators combined as well. Um, and I think, again, just shows that what we're talking about here is something that a lot of people believe is authentic. Have you seen that Netflix documentary about this, this uh, the Malaysian flight? Funny story about that. I started watching it before these videos, and I couldn't even get through the second episode. I just turned it off because I just thought it was... It was pretty bland. <laughs> yeah, and like a lot of the stuff that people are presenting, and I've talked to a lot of these people now in person, actually, funny enough. Um, I just didn't have, didn't have any credibility. You know, it just didn't make any sense. This idea the plane would go to Russia. How, how does that work where it misses like 20 countries' radars, right? Or other people saying they're seeing pieces of debris in the South China Sea. They searched with 42 planes and 39 boats in the South China Sea, Straits of Malacca, Andaman Sea, and in the South Indian Ocean. They didn't find one piece of the plane. They didn't cover this up. It was The plane just simply did not crash into the ocean, right? You've got people like trying to superimpose pictures on pictures of the ocean. You've got people sitting there trying to like discredit people that found debris. Like it, it was just not a very credible show in general. Um, but then after I watched the videos, I went back and watched it again. And that's when I started to realize that like some of these people realize there's at least something wrong, right? And they started to build their own stories for, you know, in their own minds, what could have really happened to the plane. Um, and I realized that a lot of people, they weren't, you know, uh, out of their mind. They actually are, are of some sound mind, very intelligent people. I've even spoken to Florence Duchangi, and I find her to be a very intelligent woman and respected journalist. Um, but they just didn't have the whole, the, the, all the puzzles to the, to the pieces of the puzzle, right? And so now I think we've got enough pieces to this puzzle where we can have a really good idea of what really happened in this plane. And the answer is going to shock a lot of people. You know, it's going to come down to some normal explanations and then a very if you want to think of it, sophisticated disinformation campaign to cover up advanced technology that has been withheld from the public. And that's the part where I think is almost a bigger story than MH370. As crazy as that is to say, because there was family members that were lied to, a pilot that was vilified, witnesses that were discredited, and potentially a leaker that went to prison over leaking these videos. And so we want to vindicate all those people, but we also want to have this this technology become public because this technology will change the entire world. And this is a story, I, I remember when this first happened, I, I've been fascinated by it. And every few years, I kind of remember it and think about it and, and just think to myself, I wonder whatever that happened here. And so that the story itself is certainly interesting, what happened to this plane. But on top of it, and as we'll see in the video, if the video is real, and I have no way to really know that with my own personal knowledge, I can only go on what others kind of say and and, and what, what have you. But uh, if it is real... It is complete. It will completely change the way we look at the world. I, I mean, I don't think I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, so that being said, should we get right into the video, or is there anything else we do you think we need to discuss? To Let's just start with the video, and then okay. we'll get into what people's initial thoughts are and kind of breaking down the narratives as well. All right, rock and roll. So I can add this to our stream here. Yeah. Take so this place. is our satellite video, which is 3D stereoscopic, <clears throat> meaning that what we're looking at here is two different camera angles. Uh, and potentially these are from two satellites that are at a certain distance apart in outer space. Or uh, in essence, what's happening here is this is something called the Sibir system. The Sibir system is scanning with all satellites across the world all the time. Some that are geostationary, super far away. Others that are low Earth orbit, potentially like the angle that we see here. And it's producing a 3D battlefield map, almost like a Google Earth Pro video, if you want to think of it like that. And what we're looking at here is not even daytime. It looks light because they have the capability of false color IR, which is that they can color this however they want to make it appear as though daytime. Now, you'll notice there's no shadows anywhere in our videos here. And even before we begin, you can see this very long smoke trail coming from the back of the plane. These are cumulus clouds here, which are too low for contrails to be forming. So the cumulus clouds are between one and 5,000 feet. Contrails only form at like 30,000 feet or above. So these cannot be contrails coming from behind the plane. We will present a fire scenario, which is the true uh, emergency event that happened to this plane. In addition, down here at the bottom, you can see coordinates. These coordinates indicate the Nicobar Islands, which is the agreed upon flight path by everybody around 1840 UTC. So we were actually able to nail down the time within about five minutes or less of where and when this actually video takes place as well. So again, this is already a lot of details for somebody to have faked. Yeah, And for those listening on the podcast version, this would be a good time to tune into the video version on YouTube yeah. and pretty much everywhere else. So we can see this orb come in. 
this orb is coming in all of a sudden at about Mach 3 speeds, really, really fast. Overshoots the plane, it's ignoring gravity, and it begins to circle around the plane here, and then it actually circles the plane itself. A second orb shoots up through these clouds. You can barely see it, but it's going to shoot across the water here and up through this cloud, and it's going to join the first orb. And then a third orb comes from outside the screen. They lock into a pattern, and they begin to circle the pattern, the circle the plane, encircling it as a, in a sphere. So this pattern here indicates that we're not looking at non-human intelligence or even humans flying around in these. We're looking at a computer program running these. Mm. The pattern is almost a perfect wave pattern, which is just too exact for any type of beings inside to be uh, forming while it's happening. We see the pattern change as well. So right now it's kind of spinning around. When it gets to this plane here, it becomes vertical. A lot of this shows intent. Now you can see this mouse. People wonder, like, what's this black thing? This is a mouse here. This is the Citrix session. So somebody's logged in with this. This is 24 frames per second, this mouse. So this is whoever is capturing this video. I, I guess with the intent of putting it out there is that's that's the indication of they're using this. Yeah, they're logged in. And they're not using a camera. They're not using a camera phone, right? They're just actually screen recording it. And they're cropping footage out too. This mouse goes off the screen in a second on the top right. It actually goes off the screen in the bottom left as well, which indicates that there's a, they're looking at a much bigger field of view here. So it shows a lot of intent as well. That person, the person who leaked this was not trying to damage U.S. intelligence. They also cropped out the drone from our second video from right in the beginning. I'll just go back and show that. What we're going to find in the second video, there's a drone just off the screen to the north up here. And that drone is our second video, and they've cropped it out. Presumably, there's other assets that have been cropped out as well. Um, and again, that indicates this person was probably not a spy. They're probably an operator or a U.S. Uh, intelligence uh, person. And that they were just trying to give enough information that we could solve the mystery of the plane. They probably had an emotional reaction like anybody does looking at this, thinking, oh, this is proof of non-human intelligence. That's what I initially thought as well. And then most likely later on, they were told that that's not the case. Now, this plane zaps out of space-time entirely right there. Now, this is zaps, where it goes from a normal, yet a weird yet normal-ish, somewhat UFO video to just uh, what a WTF moment. Yeah, it just this is the part where I think people existence. have the hardest time understanding. But what we've been able to show is that this zap here is going to be consistent with physics as we know it. Now, it's consistent with physics as we know it maybe in 2023, and maybe what we'll learn in the next five or seven years. But in 2014, there would have been no basis to understand what's happening at all in this footage. So interestingly enough, the smoke trail disappears when this plane disappears which indicates we're not looking at some type of cloaking. Also, this zap is not big enough for it to be annihilation, some type of explosion. It would be so much larger if, if this entire mass of this plane was being converted to energy. It would potentially blow up most of the planet, or at least a big chunk of it. So it really only is one option for us, some form of teleportation. And that's because the mass and energy has to go somewhere. When the zap happens, it actually illuminates these clouds accurately which is important because you can see all this detail in these clouds. Extremely difficult to fake this level of detail in the clouds, especially using 2024 technology or 2014 technology. This is also potentially indicative of what we're seeing as nighttime. Because if it was daytime, this flash probably would not be as prominent. And I'll just do it one more time. I see that flash. Now, just to show us, the leaker actually moves the screen over to the right afterwards to say, hey, you know, there's no plane anywhere over here. It's just straight up gone. As so are this, the orbs. Yeah, and the orbs too, which is also maybe another clue as well, is that the orbs are moving along with the plane potentially. Mm. Um, so that's our first video. Now, the second video I'll pull up here right now as well is from an MQ-1C Gray Eagle. So this is the one that was just cropped out of screen. You can tell because here's the plane again. You can see the trails coming out behind it. It actually goes underneath the wake of the plane and gets destabilized a little bit. And then now it starts to zoom in. This is not being automatically tracked it's actually manually tracking the plane which is kind of tells us this person is expecting something to happen and you can see if this was a fake video the plane probably wouldn't be going off the screen like this either this is really indicative of a real human following the plane right if you're making a fake video you're gonna have the plane probably in the center or at least in the full view the entire time this second video gives us a lot more information as well look at these orbs wow. These trails are not behind the orbs. They're in front of the orbs, these black lines. The only reason why they look behind is because it's in movement. It's moving at a very high rate of speed. Also, these are not solid metal objects. What we're looking at here is a field around a much smaller uh, piece of mass. And what's happening here is that they're completely ignoring gravity. 
And then people on there might go, no, you can't do that. You can't ignore gravity. You actually can. If you reduce your mass of your object to zero, you can ignore gravity. And that's what we think is actually happening here is that they're using room temperature superconductivity to create a field that is allowing this object to obtain the, quanta, the properties of quanta so that it can act like a quantum object, like a photon potentially, or you know, something that is extremely small. And what that does is allow them to ignore gravity, and now they're creating their own geodesics. We think this is happening from an accelerated pulse, potentially from a laser, that is creating and basically think of it as ripping the hole in the fabric of space-time um, so that they are following what looks like almost just like train tracks as they move forward. The leaker most likely colorized this and removed the HUD data so that they would, A, not do as much damage to the U.S. intelligence, uh, but B, so that we could see a lot of the details and not be confused about the details that we see here. Because otherwise, if this was black and white, then people may question a lot more of the aspects of the footage, including the zap that we're going to see here is actually going to be a cold, dark zap, not a white, hot zap. And what that's going to mean is this isn't an explosion. This is not energy being burst outwards. This is actually being energy being sucked in, endothermic event. So when they zoom in here as well, it's another indication that they know something's going to happen. So they zoom in even closer. And now we'll see here as they zoom in closer, there's actually a heat signature in the middle of the plane. So you see this heat signature here that's not the same as the engine. This heat signature is actually directly where the landing gear is. And there's two AC exhaust ports for heat right next to it here. What we think this is indicative of, and you can actually see the smoke trail again coming out of the back of this plane, that there was a fire on board the plane, potentially from lithium-ion batteries. If you go look those up, extremely dangerous events. They're happening more than once per week, even after the FAA outlawed them in the cargo bay of passenger planes in 2015, one year after this event. This plane had 500 pounds of lithium-ion batteries in the cargo bay, not for flying the plane, just as cargo. So we think that there was a lithium-ion battery fire, why would it have that kind of cargo in the plane? Um, there's a lot of speculation of that, uh, that what these batteries are or why, you know, they're military batteries or they, they're Motorola batteries, according to the Waybill. Um, most likely reason is they didn't know how dangerous they were. Between 2010 and 2014, a number of planes burnt up and a bunch of people died for just transporting these batteries around. And as I mentioned, there's still over one incident per week on just domestic flights. And that's what the batteries above in the, you know, with people, not even in the cargo bay. Part of the problem is that if these start on fire and you go look at these lithium ion battery fires from Teslas, scooters, cell phones, they can't be put out. You can put them out temporarily. They just keep raging. They have so much energy in them and they're very explosive events as well. So if you're not down there and you're monitoring it, you know, this thing could have just lit up. And this is potentially what made the plane go dark uh, about an hour before this event. So we can see that heat signature. And interesting enough, look at these orbs. You can see a very clear heat signature in the orbs as well. This has been described uh, by Bob Greenier as the monopole. So this is probably the point where the laser is shooting out at the middle of this. And the leaker, or the person who's filming this, recording this, not even the leaker, because this is would have been what they recorded live. They zoom out here as if they know what's about to happen. Mm. And right before this happens, uh, and I'm going to go to the slow-mo version of it here. You can see the monopoles here. They actually spin and orient towards the center right before, and they converge on the plane right before this zap. This, to me, is the biggest evidence that what we're seeing is real. You see them flatten like this? This actually seems to show gravitational lensing happening in real time, the same way if you were looking at a black hole with a star behind it, how the light bends around the black hole. This frame right here is actually pretty much proof of the science we're going to talk about, that this is teleportation. It's blurred. Not only is it blurred, if you compare the size of this frame from the frame right beforehand, it's slightly shrunken. What is happening here is we think this plane is undergoing a phase transition where it's obtaining the properties of quantum and having inertial mass reduction. The mass of the plane is reducing. The speed is accelerating. And that's why we see the blur. Where we, There was no blur anywhere else in this footage until the very last frame. And then it's just gone. Right? So this, this is essentially, if I go to the science of what explains this, 
And this is very cutting edge science that I think even a lot of PhDs fail to understand and think that this is fiction, but it's really not. So I'll just run through these combined orbitoroidal moments can cohere electrons. When electrons are driven from their equilibrium, they self-organize into a matter wave. And that means that solid state objects may be able to achieve macroscopic quantum coherence. When the orbs are converging on their monopoles, it's making their own azimuth as they collapse on the plane. This induces the transitional phase state change. And low temperatures, as we see this very dark, cold event that happens, they can actually allow electrons to couple and move as one. So what's happening with the toroidal moment is that it's unifying the forces into this phase singularity at the last second when they're all, all these monopoles are pointed together at, together at once. So the quantum properties that it can attain here is mass reduction. And since time itself is a fluid symmetry, time dilation is real, meaning time flows at different rates depending on where you are and how much mass is near you. Then the faster relative flow of time is the less inertia, which can e equal zero gravity. And what Have, that allows is you reach, you receive zero inertia, and now you can go at very high speeds, potentially the speed of light, maybe even beyond the speed of light. And that explains why the plane disappears. We're looking at it from a camera that has a specific frame rate. So if you were seen in real time, you might see like a redshift action. But with the camera, it just looks like it completely disappears instantly. So we don't think this is a wormhole or a black hole because the clouds barely move in our other video. You know, if it was a wormhole or a black hole, we would expect that the clouds would be sucked in or exploded out, right? Even if it was an explosion, we'd imagine the clouds to move more. But if it's just a phase state change of the plane, then we don't need to explain the clouds not moving. Then it actually makes sense for the clouds to stay perfectly still. Have you had to become a, a sort of instant expert on a lot of these scientific, uh, you know, subjects. I mean, a lot of this, I, some of it I'm familiar with having looked into quantum physics on a, in a very, mm -hmm. you know, vague way, but a lot of it is over my head. A lot of it are just words that go right through <laughs> me. So, I mean, you're in healthcare IT. Is this all completely new stuff to you in the last few months? So, you know, I've always loved physics for sure, but I'm not a PhD at all. Um, and so I knew quite a bit about some of these scientific terms and I follow up with like, what's the most cutting edge science on, I initially thought it was macroscopic quantum decoherence. You know, all of this leads back to the double slit experiment, which is the greatest mystery mm -hmm. in all of physics. Um, and so I knew quite a bit about that in general, but yeah, I've been getting tutored now by several people who are engineers, physicists, uh, and just people that have a lot of personal interest in this kind of stuff. And that's how I've tried to make sure that when I say the science, I want to say it correctly. Because I know if there are prominent PhDs, et cetera, out there, that I want to be able to say it accurately so that they'll take it seriously. Um, but otherwise, yeah, you know, I, you can tell from my earlier appearances, you know, we were talking about black holes, wormholes, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I've had to basically have cram sessions to figure out, okay, guys, you know, teach me everything I need to know here. And it's tough. Like you just pointed out, it, a lot of it went over my head for weeks. And only now am I starting to understand it. You know, an analogy that I like to give now is think of like a fly or an ant. Do you ever wonder why they can move so fast, even though they're so tiny compared to our huge size? The answer is less mass equals higher rate of time equals higher rate of speed. So it's a very apt analogy. The smaller something is, the faster it can go. And if something is so small that it has zero mass, essentially, then it can go as fast, faster than we can imagine, I guess speed of light or even potentially beyond and that's exactly how you break this down for you know people laymen's like you or i <laughs> all right so you've you've described what you believe to be the the what that that we are seeing so why don't we dig mm -hmm. into more of the story of, of sure. what you actually think was going on there how you know you see you mentioned the the, the fire on the plane so yeah. the idea is that if there's a fire on the plane and these orbs whatever they may be are sent there to do something with it. The theory, I guess, here is that they're they're trying to save the plane and recover the plane. Um, so maybe lay out what what you believe was the impetus sure. for all this. Why why they're trying to save this particular plane? Yeah. So let's and again, we're the in this, path. this yeah. is certainly the realm of speculation. Um, I think that the flight path. I, I mean, that's some of the stuff I'm most confident of. So the plane takes off at sixteen forty two UTC from uh, Kuala Lumpur, and it's heading to Beijing, going northeast. It gets to, and actually I have a graphic that I'll pull up as well that will help this if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. Let me take a second. Share this. 
Because I think a lot of people, you know, they're not like there's been so much misinformation about the case. It's it, people for people to really understand what happened. It helps to look at the videos here. So we see this plane taking off. It's flying over to the northeast, gets to the South China Sea at 1721 UTC. This is 64 seconds after the pilot or co-pilot says goodnight MH370. Plane goes dark at 1721. This is the part where we believe our lithium ion battery fire explodes. This is where even the plane potentially got depressurized. A lot of times when people lie, they include an element of truth. They want to blame the pilot for this depressurization. The problem is the depressurization is going to take out the pilot as well. Mm. Even just yesterday, someone was trying to argue with me that the pilots, they have their own oxygen system. Well, I found evidence that, that oxygen system isn't going to last much longer than the, the crew's or the passenger's oxygen system, which means that any type of depressurization event is going to take out everybody. So a better argument here is that there was a fire explosion happened. Depressurizes the plane. Mike McKay, first witness, is on an oil rig 300 miles out here. He sees this plane in the distance, and he thinks he sees fire. And his sighting gets misreported as they'd say that he saw the plane crash. Later on, he says he sticks with his story. He did not see the plane crash. He just assumed if there was a fire, it must have crashed at some point. Which, if our videos didn't exist, then potentially it could have crashed at some point. But they do. So... What happens here? Plane turns around. Now, where does the plane go? Directly to Penang Langkawi International Airport. This is the closest airport that you would go to in an emergency situation. What I also want to point out is there were nine witnesses along the coast here that at the same time this plane went dark, reported hearing a loud bang or a loud noise. So this would again be indicative of some type of explosion from the lithium-ion batteries, which are very energetic events. Again, I urge people to go look up lithium-ion battery explosions very scary stuff. They scare me a lot more than orbs do. Um, <laughs> so at this point, we believe there's a, a battery fire, the, an explosion on the plane, mm-hmm. and then the plane goes dark, and the pilot says the, the best thing we can do is go to this airport and try to do an emergency landing in Penang. Exactly. And that's, if you go look at the Wired article on Google Wired, Wired MH370, they actually argue for this event. And they, except for the lithium-ion battery part, because they didn't know about lithium-ion battery situations, they actually just argue for an electrical fire. Hmm. So right about here, this is 6, 1730 UTC, just 10 minutes later. There are eight fishermen on a boat right here, and they see this plane flying extremely low, unusually low. This is indicative of the plane being depressurized and them trying to fly low enough to have enough oxygen for the passengers to be able to breathe. There's also a communication that's not very widely reported on, but another 777 pilot who's flying to Tokyo has communication with the plane. He either hears the, co- the pilot or the co-pilot. And then it, I think there was a bit of static, and then the connection breaks. So potentially the communications did not go out at 1721 UTC. They might have gone out at 1730, but maybe they just didn't go out at all. And maybe the communications are just classified due to the technology we see later on. There are some reports that people that live here uh, along Malaysia also saw the plane flying low. I'm attempting to corroborate some of those sightings right now. But 1752 happens. Copilot's cell phone pings a cell tower. So it had to be pretty low if it was able to ping the cell tower as well. For whatever reason, they don't land here. Now, what we've speculated is consistent with this event, the fire potentially took out the landing gear or the landing gear was not able to be deployed. The next thing you're supposed to do in the aviation manual is try to land on your belly on the land. Surprisingly, I didn't know that that was a thing. But if you try to do that when your plane's full of fuel, because this plane has another six hours of fuel in it, it's going to explode. If you try to dump the fuel during the fire scenario, that's also probably not going to be very a good idea, right? You don't want to light a match with a gas station, right? right? Now, the next thing you're supposed to do is try to land in the ocean. So interestingly enough, what I hypothesize here is that they've made communication with the U.S. military. And so there's potentially a drone been stationed at one of these island bases over here. And then that gets deployed to intercept the plane because it cannot keep up with the plane. These drones fly very slow. And it would make sense, too, that your satellite is probably like some down, somewhere down here in the South Indian Ocean, maybe even further away. And you're trying to operationalize everything to catch what we're about to do to it on multiple videos. So this plane then flies out into the Straits of Malacca. Now, the Malaysian government was lying about this for like a week. And they were searching over here in the South China Sea, but they had military radar that already showed this plane going here. They, they, they admit they knew the plane was a civilian plane and they knew it wasn't hostile. That already rules out several scenarios. Like, if you know it's not hostile, that rules out the hijacking scenario. It also indicates that you potentially have communication with the plane. Because otherwise, wouldn't you set a jet up to go ahead and follow it and figure out where it's going? Or even shoot it down, potentially? I mean, it's flying over your country, right? 
So a lot of the official narratives don't make any sense in their original context, but given the context of this fire, make perfect sense. They claim the last communication was between 1815 and 1822 UTC. This, this number got changed several times. Even in the old press conferences I was looking at from days after, they were talking about 1815 UTC. The next day, though, the time that they claimed to have lost communication was 1840 UTC. That's the same time as our videos. That's the same time there's a witness on a boat over here that sees a glowing orange plane. Now, I kept trying to figure out, and I talked to KT myself firsthand several times, actually. I was trying to figure out, why is this plane glowing orange? You know, the orbs causing it? What could be causing that? And then we hit Pager. We found out that the bromine chemical in halon fire extinguishing devices on the plane can cause a chemical reaction that releases the bromine which will cause an orange gas to permeate throughout the whole plane. Now, we have about an hour between when this plane went dark and they start fighting this fire until we get to where we're at now. And that explains why the people early on don't see the orange glowing plane. They only see it at this point because now they've been fighting this fire, trying to put it out, desperately unable to do so. If this plane lands in the ocean, it's going to break apart. I was looking at a video earlier today of a plane trying to just control land in the ocean and it just gets ripped into tons of pieces. Landing in the ocean is not like landing in the Hudson River. In fact, Sully Sullenberger even landing in the Hudson River and saving those people is quite a miracle. Normally, what's going to happen is this plane is going to rip apart. It's also the middle of the night. So 1822 UTC is 2.20 in the morning. The moon is down, we checked. The sun is down. KT says it's pitch black and it's very hot. So if this plane crashes, you know, middle of the night, most likely everyone's going to die. In addition to that, most Chinese mainland nationals, which is the most people on this plane by far, a lot of them don't learn how to swim. It's just mm. not something that they don't generally learn how to swim like we do in the West, where everybody kind of learns when you're young. So most likely, everybody on this plane was doomed. There was no nothing that was going to save them. So instead, what happens is the plane gets here to where KT sees it. The direction of travel with KT's sighting is consistent with both the direction travel of the plane and the, the turn that we see in our videos, where we see this plane turning south into the east. She follows it for a few minutes. She doesn't know what she's seen. She has no idea. She sees this glowing orange plane. You know, I, if it was me, I'd probably think I was hallucinating. Again, she had no idea there's a missing rogue plane either, right? So she had been in a fight with her husband. And at least according to her, interesting enough, she, at the worst possible time, she went in and go to put the kettle on. You know, she'd been following this plane for five minutes. It's probably flying around here. And goes down south of the plane, uh, the boat here, and she goes and puts the kettle on. And when she comes back out, there's no more plane anymore. Okay, you missed it. You missed the teleportation. Missed it. I, you know, I was really hoping that she would have seen it, and then she would admit that she had seen it to me because then, you know, we're calling up CNN, we're getting her on, you know, mm -hmm. what have you. But you think about it, a lot of people aren't going to believe it anyway, you know. So if you do say, "Hey, I saw this plane teleport out of the sky," you know, people are going to think you're a little nuts, though, right? So. It wouldn't have surprised me if she had kept that hit information hidden, but at least as of now, she uh, still claims that she did not see that portion of it. Um, so that's what we believe is our flight path. Today's episode of the Mark Claire Show is sponsored by right here, Fox and Sons, foxandsons.com, my favorite coffee brand. And I don't just say that because they're sponsors of the show. I say that because I get a one pound bag shipped to my house. The proof is right here. Uh, every single month, I get my pound of Fox and Sons delivered right to my house. You should too. Of course, I don't expect you to just dive right in with no idea what you're getting into. I want you to go get yourself a sample bag. Go over to foxandsons.com, F-O-X-N-S-O-N-S.com. You can check out the Den Blend Dark, as is my preference, the Tanzanian Peaberry, Brazilian Honey Premp, a bunch of other flavors still to come. Uh, Steven's always mixing it up with new fresh beans. The best part about this business... Today's episode is sponsored by Fox and Sons Coffee. And let me just tell you, Stephen of Fox and Sons, he is not just an advertiser. He has been a supporter of this show from day one. And frankly, since before day one, because he came over with me from the old Lions and Liberty days. So true fan of the show. He started this company, Fox and Sons, out of his love for coffee and really out of wanting to further bond with his sons and spend time with him, just like he shared time with his father drinking coffee. Uh, he also gets to teach his sons about entrepreneurship and business through this endeavor. So I'm so happy to have Stephen and really his whole family, the Fox and the Sons, the whole gang as a supporters and sponsors of this show. Not only that, his beans are so high quality, fresh. Look, I just got two new 
bags right here. I got the Mexican and my favorite, the Den Blend Dark. The beans are super high quality, fresh and sourced from small organic farms, fair trade. None of this GMO garbage. They're all small batch roasted. This is high quality stuff. Subscriptions are by far the best way to get your coffee. I have a couple subscriptions going, uh, but that is the way to go. You never run out that way. I never run out. I always have my supply of Fox & Sons. So I want you to head over to foxandsons.com. Put in your order today. They ship fast. They ship now through the end of February. Also, by the way, you're going to get free shipping on any order over $37.99. By the way, while you're there, use discount code MCS to get 18% off any order over $25. Stephen Fox is a great man, a great friend, great supporter of the show. I encourage you to check out his coffee over at foxandsons.com. Stephen started it to not only relive his love for sharing coffee with his father, but to teach his own sons about entrepreneurship. If that doesn't give you the warm and fuzzies, I don't know what will. Just kidding. Yes, I do. This coffee will. So head over to foxandsons.com, F-O-X-N-S-O-N-S.com. Use discount code MCS to get yourself 18% off your order. You're going to be coming back for more. Trust me. Foxandsons.com, discount code MCS. Back to the show. As far as the fires go, so these fires are supposedly very, very dangerous, but you're saying that that plane could still fly for an hour after this, that yep. fire started? Yeah, surprising. So the cargo bays are actually maintained, are set up to be able to withstand these kinds of fires mm. in general. And I did have an expert reach out to me on uh, through IMs, DMs, and uh, you know, claim that they have a lot of experience actually testifying to these types of events. And said that this would actually be consistent and possible that it could last for an hour and 20 minutes um, and that it would glow orange from the fire extinguishing devices as well. And that they're willing to go on the record, um, potentially even in front of Congress and testify to this fact as well with me. So I think that that adds another aura of credibility. I've also had a number of engineers kind of talk to me about, again, those fire ex those uh, exhaust ports that are underneath next to the landing gear and how there could be several ways where these lithium ion batteries uh, ignited. The most common way is apparently from defects in them. Interestingly enough, they were packaged the same day they were put on the plane and they missed two security screenings, which is indicative of the fact that we didn't really realize how dangerous these were back then, right? You know, and nowadays, I think that would not ever be possible. Even if you go try to mail a letter today, they'll ask you if there's any lithium ion batteries in your letter. That's how seriously they take this situation now. Um, so we have a lot of experts who are willing to kind of talk, go on the record, present information. And for me, again, it's not even so much the credibility of any individual person so much as that you can verify all this information to be accurate. Right. Um, so that's what we think really happened. And then the question I think people will ask is, well, you know, why, why then are we pulling out the, the secret technology, right. To save right. this plane. <laughs> so, you know, and I think the that's, who, I guess, because this is a from a U.S. government satellite. So I guess the who is some element of, of the U.S. military or U.S. government. So I guess the question is why and and what? Yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot of questions, but but take it from a take it to the why a little bit of what you believe to be the why. Yeah. So let's first say why I don't necessarily think it's non-human intelligence. I used to think it was that early on because I think a lot of people think I think even the leaker potentially thought this was non-human intelligence and they thought they weren't doing any damage by cropping this information and just giving us the minimum amount, right? Because most people would go, oh, aliens zapped the plane or something, right? But I think they later on, they were convinced and told that, no, this was our technology. You just gave away the secrets to our technology to the whole world without even realizing it. And so when I look at why is it reverse engineered versus non-human intelligence or why is it our technology versus non-human intelligence, um, there's no reason for such an extensive cover-up if it's just an anomalous UAP event, right? You would just come up with something else and say, yeah, okay, someone shot it down or what have you, and we couldn't find any pieces, as opposed to, oh, it flew into the South Indian Ocean at the exact same location that this event happened. Uh, the assets they're filming are military, U.S. military. The orbs are, actually, the filming is already happening before the orbs even appear. That's a pretty important point. They're already filming this before the orbs come as if they know something's about to happen. So either they got extremely lucky filming this or they were preparing for it. The orbs are moving at Mach 3, meaning that the plane's not outrunning them. There was an initial theory that, okay, maybe the orbs were causing the plane to have like jamming or they caused the fire, but you can't outrun these orbs. So I never really liked that idea of, okay, it's outrunning the orbs and then the orbs catch up to it. They're moving 10 times faster than the plane's moving. Um, the pattern is explained by AI. It's a computer program that we see. It's not non-human intelligence flying around in little orbs. 
the fire event is indicative of rescue motivation, right? If you need this plane to be destroyed, you just let it crash. You don't need to interrupt it at any point then, right? We can see this plane flying extremely low. KT also sees the plane descending in her sighting as well. So we not only do we have this descending happening, we also have the plane of uh, the video, the witness statement, and there was an intercepted SOS communication only reported in Chinese news, claiming to have been intercepted at 2.43 a.m., which Malaysian time is 18.43 UTC, that the plane was disintegrating and an attempting emergency landing. So now we have three sources of corroboration for the events that we see. We can't attribute human motivations to a non-human intelligence. At least I don't think we can. Some people like to say, you know, non-human intelligence would be benevolent, right? To me, I think they just wouldn't care at all. Hyper-advanced species is going to think about us the same way we think about some ants. I'm not going around trying to save every ant or mouse or whatever, right? Quite um, the opposite, doom. actually, in my house. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, quite the opposite, exactly. <laughs> if anything, I would think it would be more of an extermination situation rather than right. a benevolent situation, but that's just my opinion. Um, and then the lastly, science can actually explain everything we see in the videos. That's the real kicker for me. Is that, okay, if we couldn't explain it, like it's just thousands of years more advanced than us, that's when I was initially thinking, okay, it has to be non-human intelligence. And now I've moved away from that and lowered that time frame to think that this is just science that's 50 or 100 years more advanced. If we hadn't found these videos, I don't think this would have been made available to the public in any of our lifetimes. I think the military would sit on this information for military supremacy without revealing it to any of us. And that's the saddest part is that this technology can change the entire world and yet nothing. So if we believe it was a rescue then, then yeah. I suppose we have to think that that teleportation that we supposedly mm -hmm. witnessed in that video was moving that object in time or space and time or at least space and delivering it intact. So <laughs> WTF. <laughs> I mean, so, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to wrap my head around this yeah. and how even if this is possible, even if this movement and and sort of turning this into a zero mass situation and moving it somewhere else, yeah. the idea of humans surviving that is really mind-blowing. I mean, they did it in Star Trek, so I guess it's the same thing, but it always uh, always blew my mind there too. Like, are, are there yeah. particles disintegrating into nothing? And re it's really hard to wrap my, my head around. So it's not that they're dematerializing and rematerializing. That's the thing Star Trek didn't get correct. They did seem to get warp drive correct. That is more similar to what we'd be seeing here. Is where you see the plane or the, you know, you see in the, the Star Trek where it just kind of shoots really fast and you see like the trail of it. That would be what I would expect if we were kind of looking at it in real time. You might actually see like a redshift effect of that. Um, so what I would say here is like the motive and how could they have survived this type of event you know, I think that what was probably happening is the lithium ion battery fires being put out. Either the cold, the very cold zap that we see is cold enough to put it out. Or interestingly enough, so most uh, explosions like this are going to be exothermic, which is a release of energy. What we're seeing here is a cold event. It's an endothermic event. It's an absorption of energy. So what could be happening here is this event could actually be absorbing the energy of the lithium ion batteries, which allows the fire to go out. And now you just need to bring the plane anywhere else, right? Because you've taken the energy out, you put the fire out. Now the plane can keep flying safely. So, uh, you know, whether or not they survived, I don't want to give any of the families uh, a false hope. I mean, we were talking about lithium-ion battery fires raging for over an hour, releasing toxic smoke, uh, where it could have been a depressurized plane, where people maybe not have enough uh, oxygen to breathe. But this plane, we didn't find any major debris field anywhere. So it's over the same reasons why it didn't crash in the South Indian Ocean. No debris field found on an active shipping route. Is the same reason why I think it somehow must have survived that event. At least the pilot did. Somebody survived enough to be able to fly the plane. And then in terms of why you pull this off, the motive, I think, is the 20 freescale semiconductor scientists and engineers on board. That's way too many people from one company. These were very important people in the company as well that had intellectual property. Um, the plane was doomed, so the idea there is, okay, potentially you're trying to save these people. And that is the same technology is that, that was used supposedly on this plane? So we found a 2005 NSA, National Security Agency report, that is on commercial superconductivity, room temperature commercial room superconductivity, that was in deployment, that references Freescale nine different times in it. And I thought that was very unusual. This company is literally referenced in a room temperature superconductivity report from early 2000s. 
And it even mentions that it might be available for use by 2010 or 2012, just a couple of years before our event, but only if the government intervenes and gives the funding to make it happen. So now you've created a direct connection between this company, the technology, and the government who's filming it. So now the scenario becomes you're trying to save them because that's your intellectual property that you can't lose, right? They might be directly tied to some of that technology that's being deployed. There could also be a situation where you're trying to prevent them from going to China. This plane was going to China, Beijing, may have been a matter of whoever controls this technology controls the world. And even if you set them back 10 years, you know, that, the government would probably, military probably think that's worthwhile. Now, you don't need to make it crash because it's already going to crash. It's already doomed. And then the last option is somebody that brought up, I think is we got to throw out there too, is that because the plane's doomed, maybe there's a protocol that allows you for testing on that type of technology, right? They're going to be doomed mm -hmm. anyway. The reason why I don't, I discount that one a little bit is that's a lot of cover up for a test event, right? I'd rather test it on a plane that is not full of people. That's important that we have to create this elaborate cover up for. Sure. Right? You could just fly some, you know, drone operated exactly. thing and try it on that. You wouldn't need to <laughs> wait for something like this to happen. Precisely. But that's what we think is happening here with this event. And it's theoretically possible that this plane and the people could have survived it. But I think that according to some wormhole papers that I read, really the way that would have to happen is there would have to be some kind of double-sided shell. It doesn't have to be like a physical shell, but maybe an electromagnetic field around the plane or around the people inside that then allows for the macroscopic quantum coherence of the plane itself from the outside perspective but from the inside perspective, their frame of reference doesn't change at all. So all of a sudden, zap, they teleport, they're somewhere else. You know, the plane undergoes this uh, kind of phase state change, but they don't undergo it. Um, and that's where I think it kind of relays into Salvador Pius's patents and his inertial mass reduction patent for a transmedium craft, which a lot of people call a UFO craft. And that's why I think that this has to be related to reverse engineering you know, a la whistleblower David Grush and what he spoke to Congress. So while you don't think this is non-human intelligence, you do believe this could be reverse engineered from something non-human? I do, personally. I just have a hard time believing that we humans naturally came upon this level of technology. And even since 2017, I've just been wondering a lot, is like, is a lot of the technological advancements, are they really natural that we've been undergoing in the last 50, 100 years? You know, we've really advanced a long, long way in a very, very short period of time. And it makes me wonder, have we not been getting, maybe not necessarily help is the right word, but have we been seeing stuff that we've been slowly been able to figure out as our material science advances? And maybe it advanced enough where we could actually even figure out how UAPs fly. I want to go through this this story just a little, little bit more and see if we can try to dig into it here. So are you, the theory anyway, your theory, well, it's not just your theory. I mean, this is a theory. I think that's like a sort of a community of people have put together. Um, and then I suppose there's like maybe large agreement on the contents of the video within that community. And then I would imagine maybe there's some, some different places people go in the actual theories, maybe the, the whys and the hows and whatnot, but I'm just trying to run through it in my head here. So, cause from the, from the beginning, there's something very odd about isn't that, that number of scientists from that one company being on one plane. Isn't that odd mm -hmm. from before before we even get to this whole scenario of the teleportation? Yeah. And what I want to say before is that I, I want to thank the community that's brought the evidence forth, but really this actually is my story. Like I'm the one who's put together mm -hmm. okay. this story around the plane. And what I've said too is that people are willing, they're free to use the evidence that I've put forth and come up with their own stories if they want to. Very few, if any, people have actually done that. It would actually help me if more people did. That way I wouldn't necessarily have to be the one guy who's kind of pushing this thing forward, and maybe they'll find something else that we've missed. But it hasn't just been me putting the evidence together. That's the part where the community began with that. I started MH370X, which is the organization that I've begun, mostly on our Discord, uh, very talented, very intelligent and driven people who have been looking back through a, a ton of just archived videos, archived news reports, and we found stuff that I'd never, I never thought we'd find this much evidence in my whole life. And that's what makes it so compelling to me, whereas there's no way this can be fake, given the huge body of evidence that we've just been able to uncover along with it. So early on, I thought, if this is real, we could authenticate every aspect of these videos, right? You'd have to be able to. We've authenticated far more aspects than I ever thought we'd be able to. Um, and that's what's just so compelling for me. So... Let's just go through the scenario. Like I said, if if these all these scientists are on this plane, right, and then there's this fire, I would imagine unexpected, this unexpected event, 
And so for someone to order this to have to, to, to save this plane, there has to be some communication, I guess, with the U.S. government. So how do we think that that sort of went down? What's the, what's the chain mm-hmm. here? Yeah. And so from that perspective, like you mentioned, way too many people from one company, right? Most companies have a rule, like three or four important people on the plane, and that's it. That's all you can have on it. So there's still some mystery, like maybe there was an espionage angle here, and maybe this lithium-ion battery fire was either accidental or it was started intentionally. Kind of the flight path really makes me indicate it was accidental. That's where I'm leaning on that side of it. It's just it's too complex otherwise in terms of doing this. Like, okay, why are you starting this fire in order to save it later on? Why not just zap it without the fire scenario, right? Um, but uh, yeah, so along with the why are they in communication with them, I think they would have had to been in communication with them. Now, even just today, people were unsealing or showing off some old news do- documents that say that some information had been sealed by the Mal- Malaysian government and been kept quiet and classified. And that one of those things may be the transcript of the communications. So it is possible that what they released in terms of the final communication was not really the final communication at all. A lot of people argue that it doesn't make sense how the, the communications could have gotten out because, you know, they use radio communication probably wouldn't have been based on the same systems that the rest of these, uh, you know, tracking systems were based off of as well. There's also the Rolls-Royce engine data, which should have been still transmitting that I caught the Malaysian uh, Minister of Defense actually admitting they were in communication with um, the Rolls-Royce, as well as the U.S. government spy satellites as well. So we caught them basically admitting that they, the spy satellites had to have seen something, and none of this information has been made public. So it makes sense that the communications were also maybe not made public. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense why China, and only that Chinese-only reported news, found that intercepted communication right around the same time as our videos are happening. And they weren't trying to cover it up because China has no reason to cover it up for us. Exactly. And they claimed it was a, you know, a spy a spy communication, probably on an encrypted channel or something like that. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, you know, just not reported in the Western news at all. So this is where it's like, okay, there's a lot of fishiness going on here. And what is the real story, right? So perhaps the Malaysian government and the United States government are in communication about the plane, and then this gets to wherever it has to get in the chain of command for someone to go, that plane has these important people on it who happen to work on that. I mean, that's what that's what I have a hard time with, is the idea that this all coincidentally, that coincidentally these 20 scientists are on this plane and they happen to use this technology, the same technology they were working on, on those same, to save those same scientists. That's the part that I really have trouble with. Not with the logic of it, the logic of you want to save these scientists, we have a technology, let's just do it. But the sheer level of, it seems like it has to be, if that is the case, it has to be more than coincidence. And I don't even really know how to put that all together, but I'm just curious your thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, it could just be a matter of opportunity, too. Like, how many planes are there that are doomed, that are flying for an hour, right? That you have the assets in the area that you can intercept and save it. I like to think that maybe that's just the reason. Maybe the military is just not evil, right? Maybe they're just good, and this is an opportunity where they could pull it off. Um, The Malaysian prime minister, or the minister of defense as well, he admitted in an interview that they knew somehow they they didn't have identification of the plane, but they knew it was a civilian plane, and they knew as well that it was not hostile. So to me, that gives away the plot. It's like, okay, so you knew this situation was an emergency event. That's why you didn't send up a jet. You didn't send up a jet to track it because you'd already told the Americans they're going to take care of it, right? They'll take care of it. They'll figure it out. Because otherwise, why are you not sending a jet up to follow this plane at a minimum? And every time people ask him, they just he gets super defensive. And he goes, oh, are you going to shoot down the plane? It's like, well, no, you just told me it's not hostile. Of I did watch some of those interviews that you're uh, referencing with that. This, uh, that Weirdest interview uh, I've ever seen it in my very, life. It's very odd, for sure. So, and I think that, you know, I used to be a poker player once upon a time. When people are bluffing telling or, you know, telling a lie, you have to try to come up, what's the real story? What's in their hand, right? Mm-hmm. The real story here is they knew it was an emergency event. And that's why you don't send the jet up. That's why you are pushing back on shooting it down and how silly it is to shoot it down because you know you're not going to shoot down a, a plane that's an emergency event. And this also explains why you don't send the jets up at all. Another country is already going to take care of it for you. You've communicated, the U.S. government says, we've got control of that, we'll take care of it, we know these scientists are on board. And But there is mystery, to your point. Like, maybe this is an espionage event that was planned ahead of time. And there's actually some evidence that helps with that theory, too. Two fake passengers that were Iranians, that were on stolen passports that changed their appearance, that were traveling together, 
spending thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars on the fake passports and the uh, tickets. They're some of the only people who are not Asian on board the plane. For some reason, their cover story is they're going to Beijing to go to Amsterdam, but there's direct flights from Kuala Lumpur to Amsterdam. Why are you adding more risk to running these fake, fake passports to go to China to first to go to Amsterdam? It doesn't make any sense. And this was brushed under the rug within days. Hmm. And they just said, oh, no, these were refugees. You know, ignore this. The pings as well also show another level of intent. There's two satellites in range of this plane with respect to these Immersat pings. One of them, the POR satellite, never pings the plane at all. Not from before it takes off, not from while it's flying, even though it's going towards that satellite, never pings it. The reason why this is important is this makes it very difficult to track the plane. If you only have one ping, the only thing you can tell is how far away from that satellite it was. If you had two different satellites pinging it, you'd be able to triangulate the location. So this also indicates that potentially someone shut that, you know, they manipulated the satellite device on the plane beforehand, but before it took off and made it so that it would be very difficult to track. So that's where, especially initially several weeks ago, I thought, okay, was this a UFO encounter event, espionage event, some type of emergency event? And now I think we've gotten honed in on this was an emergency lithium ion battery event and kind of rules out some of that evidence, but you can't be 100% certain. So your point, you know, if you find it very difficult to believe that, you know, in this short period of time, this communication could have happened, then I think I would pull back in this espionage angle. Maybe that's something that you would be more inclined to believe. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it's certainly uh, the the video is absolutely fascinating. The theory is absolutely fascinating. It's kind of in many ways like a a conspiracy theorist wet dream because it has aspects of just about everything. Uh, um, Advanced government governments, advanced AI, uh, potentially non-human intelligence, uh, teleportation. It's got it all. Uh, so it really is fascinating. But uh, the, the most fascinating part of it is that, that there is this video evidence that is is very, very compelling. Um, again, sure. maybe it's fake. I don't know. But I've, I've looked at a lot of the stuff that you've got, you guys have broken down. And we don't need to go over through all of that here. You have it all very, very well documented. Um, so I think now I'll just kind of let you, we'll do a little bit of a bonus segment, maybe dive into some more of your, your thoughts on, sure. on the deeper implications of this stuff. But uh, I just want to let you point to all the best places people can go to to corroborate everything that you have put out here today and how can people take this to the next step and sort of dig into it further themselves, try to corroborate this stuff themselves and, you know, where can they find all your work in, in one sort of one place on this? Yeah. And, you know, again, I don't care what people want to believe regarding it. I'm just trying to put together an investigation. I consider myself an investigator. I look at it like a court case is, okay, let's look at the story. Let's build all the evidence for it. Let's try to match up the evidence, make sure it all fits as best as possible. And then, you know, take it in front of a jury and have the jury weigh in on what they think, you know, guilty or not guilty. Um, to find me, best place is on Twitter or on YouTube now. I'm at JustXAshton on both of those places. I've started streaming um, my kind of putting together the evidence almost nightly now um, when I'm not doing a lot of podcasts, at least. And then on Twitter as well, if you go back through my highlights, you can find the whole history of the investigation, if you're so inclined. Um, every so often as well, I put together compilation pieces. These are all my works. We're going to be putting out a new all evidence uh, pretty soon as well. And that will really help people if they just want to, you know, go through the arguments. If they're arguing with other people and they want to know questions like, well, what about the debris? You know, they can just copy and paste. Here's the evidence for why the debris actually is consistent with our event that we've put forward. You know, so the idea here is that people can take the evidence themselves. They can figure out maybe there's a story or an angle that we haven't really looked at enough. And then we can get to the truth here. That's the goal here is we want to get to the truth on our timeline and stack the evidence so high that when the government does come out, there's nothing else they can say other than admit that, yep, that's MH370. Yep, we deployed some technology or whatever the case may be. Well, Ashton, it's uh, fascinating stuff. And I know this is uh, an, an unfolding situation. So I want to encourage people to continue to follow your account because you're always posting updates, uh, new information you're finding out, new sort of interesting uh, aspects of the possible science behind this stuff. Uh, so if, if you're fascinated by this tale, I definitely encourage you to follow uh, Ashton on Twitter where I find everything. So as you're, you're always posting on there. So I do appreciate you coming on my show. We're going to dig into this a little further in the smoke-filled room. But until then, uh, thank you, Ashton, for coming on. Thank you, sir. 
All right, friends. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ashton Forbes. And I will say, I saw this video going around a few months ago and I, I thought it was interesting, but kind of brushed it off at the time. But then when I did hear Ashton's breakdown on a couple podcasts that I mentioned, I knew this is at least something worth digging further into. And that's what we do here at the Mark Claire Show. We dig further, we dig deeper, and that's just what we continue to do with Ashton in the smoke-filled room for Mark Claire Show premium subscribers, for subscribers on Patreon, on Rockfin, on Subscribestar, wherever you sign up you get access to the complete version of the show. If you're just here on the free feed, my friends, you're missing out. You're only getting two thirds of the show in the smoke-filled room bonus segment, another 30 minutes with Ashen. We talked about how this explanation into this technology, into what he believes we see in this video has changed him on a spiritual level and how he has changed his outlook on a lot of things that we get into. We also talk about who he believes the leaker to be. In fact, he believes he actually knows the exact identity of the leaker and has a lot of compelling evidence uh, to that end. We also dig further into the actual science behind what we could be seeing here and behind the possibility of teleportation. It's mind-blowing stuff. You get it all in the Smoke-Filled Room segment. Uh, find all your links over at markclair.com. That's the easiest way to find all the ways you can support the show. Also, all the video uh, platforms for this show. I'm also on YouTube now. You can also become a member of this show and get the premium episodes on YouTube directly. So, so many ways to do that. Again, over at markclair.com. That's M-A-R-C-C-L-A-I-R.com. Until next time, friends, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Thank <laughs> you.